Hi, everyone. Duncan Fletcher here. Welcome back to another podcast session here for PADS. I'm here with my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn. Hey, Stephanie. Hello. And we're also very fortunate here to have from the United States Olympic Committee, Carrie White. Carrie, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Glad we were able to connect. Thanks a ton for taking the time to chat. So what we want to do today is kind of get a little feel for your experiences in the field of athlete development. I know that you've kind of had a really interesting career. So I guess one of the first things I wanted to ask you is that I believe you were a former gymnast at one point in your life. Your, your career kind of concluded and then you migrated into the athletic side at the collegiate. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience as an athlete and then what it was like jumping into a collegiate administrator role in working yeah. with student athletes. Yeah, I, I was a gymnast a really long time ago. Uh, so I started my my career at, at age six and uh, was so fortunate to enjoy a competitive career, had the opportunity to be a, a Division One student athlete at Towson University. It was Towson State at the time. Um, unfortunately, had injury that ended my career earlier than I had hoped. So I had to retire after my junior year. However, back in the old days, uh, when you were a, a Division I student athlete on scholarship, if they retained you on scholarship, you had to work to earn it. And so in my senior year, I was fortunate to be placed in a position in the athletic department. And so really got to see behind the curtain of, of what happened there. And that started my career in sport. And so um, my first opportunity was actually at Elon College, which is now Elon University, my sister was a student there, and so it you know, made good sense to move into her laundry room and, uh, and go to the athletics department. They were transitioning from Division II to Division I, and I walked into the associate AD's office, and I said, hey, listen, you know, I really want to learn more about college athletics. I'm willing to volunteer. Is there anything I can do while you're in this transition to support the efforts while also gaining some experience in college athletics? And he said, well, we can't pay you. And I said, well, I said I'd volunteer. Um, and that began my path. And so um, I started as a volunteer. I did whatever they asked me to do, which included all kinds of things, but very quickly found my passion in the area of academic and athlete development. And so kind of started my pathway back in August of 97. And out of curiosity, from your perspective, what, what did you really enjoy about that sort of transition into that athlete development or student athlete advising? What really drew you to it? What drew me to it was helping athletes be successful off their field of play and really leveraging, you know, I believe in the power of sport. I believe it's transformational and, and helping it kind of translate into whatever's going to come next. You know, at Elon College back in the late 90s, you know, while they were transitioning from Division II to Division I, you know, the smallest percentage were ever going to have opportunities after college. And so all of them were preparing for something else. And so the opportunity to be a part of that journey, um, get them excited about school, which is, is and always will be a challenge in the world of athletics. Uh, but that's what drew, drew me to it. And has driven me forward in my career at the different levels that I've been at. Carrie, before we go further into kind of your career path, I'm just thinking about what you shared as a former gymnast, you suffered in a career ending injury, and then you had the fortunate opportunity to be thrusted back into athletics, just in a, in a different, um, in a different role. 
what allowed you to overcome that that loss of identity being an athlete for so long? Um, was there someone, something that, you know, helped or was it just kind of by design given you were still involved in athletics? Just wondering if you can share because many of the individuals that are, are part of PADS are dealing with, with individuals that at some point might lose a sense of their identity because they've been used to being an athlete at, at whatever level for so long. Yeah, such a good question, Stephanie. And I don't have an easy answer. Um, it was hard. It was really hard. You know, I was so proud of being a Division One student athlete. I identified as my name is Carrie and I'm a gymnast for so long. And so when that was just kind of, you know, taken away, it was kind of like my legs were cut out. And it took me a while. Um, it took me a while to feel comfortable answering the question, tell me about yourself and not stumbling over, I was a gymnast, I'm not anymore. Um, and I do, I really do think it was once I found a passion and a purpose, then I was a professional in college athletics, helping student athletes succeed on and off the field to play. It was hard. <laughs> and, and just to, to add that to that, I think it's important to um, embrace that it is hard. It isn't easy. Um, and, and when when athletes are having that difficulty, allow them to have those feelings. Um, so thank Absolutely. you for sharing that. Yeah. Out of curiosity, but based on your experience of working with student athletes, what are some of the biggest issues that you've seen as it sort of relates to working with student athletes, helping them understand how to manage that relationship between sport and academics? What have you typically seen the biggest challenges and the biggest pitfalls for student athletes? And, and how can athlete development specialists, you know, or and academic advisors help these students succeed? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, I think a, a challenge that is consistent across the athletic experience, whether it's student athletes or professional athletes, is there is only so much time in the day. And no matter what we try to do, that does not change. It's a constant. And being an elite athlete is time consuming. Um, it's not as time consuming as athletes want to believe it is. And it's helping them identify that we're not talking that you have to spend, you know, 60 hours a week on X to be best prepared and positioned for life after sport. But we are talking that you have to spend time and it's consistent time. And, you know, the language that, that John Harris and Athlife has really embraced is running that parallel path to career development and introducing that concept as early as possible. And that really resonates with me. And so I think as athlete development professionals, it's recognizing that, yes, time is going to be a barrier. And finding those pockets of time and creating impact for the athletes that you're working, whether it's at the collegiate level or whether it's at the professional level, to get people excited about what's coming ne next before it happens right? It's inevitable that all athletes are going to transition at some point. Careers end. Some have really, really long careers, and that's amazing. Some have really, really short careers. It's going to end for all of them. And so helping them be prepared, um, just getting them excited um, and thinking about it before they have to. Because I think, you know, one of the, the things that I hear most often, heard most often, is I wasn't prepared. And now I have no idea. And you know, 25 years into this, I'm like, well, 
you knew it was going to happen at some point. Um, and 25 years ago, I wasn't prepared. And so I get it, you know, and on paper, I looked like I was prepared, right? I was getting good education. I was getting my degree. I was prepared to go to grad school. I was not ready for transition. Um, so I don't know if that directly answers your question, Duncan, but that's what jumps to mind. No, I mean, I think that's a great, it's a great point. That sort of, uh, that, that time scarcity issue, which, you know, in some cases is, well, like you said, in a lot of cases really isn't quite as scarce as you may think. And I'm curious actually, cause you kind of brought that up is obviously your work with Athlife, which is kind of a unique, uh, group in that it works both with student athletes. It works with major professional athletes. I'm curious, what was your experience of sort of bouncing back and forth between those two worlds and what did you find similar? What did you find different? What are the lessons that you learned from sort of working with both those different populations? Yeah. So my experience at Athlife, and I was there close to nine years, you know, the biggest group that we worked with was post-professional athletes. And for me, having come from the college landscape and then jumping to Athlife and working with post-professional athletes, the biggest difference was they were no longer chasing the dream. They had the dream. They lived the dream. They recognized the dream from an athletic standpoint was, um, I don't want to say over, but they were transitioning from that to their next career post-sport. And so there's a lot of things that when you're working with the college athlete who believes they're going to play professionally, you know, the, the priorities sometimes conflict, right? You know, you're telling them, hey, academics is really important. And they're like, why? Why? You know, I'm about to get drafted. I'm about to get into the league. Um, and when post-professionals, they don't have that. Uh, so I think navigating between those two spaces, you know, what I learned from working with so many post-professional athletes is many, most um, would say, you know, I really wish I had listened to my academic advisor. I really wish I would have listened to that person on campus who was telling me to really think about my inevitable transition from sport. And so when I'd go back and work with the student athlete population, I'd get an opportunity to share story and the power of story and say, hey, just yesterday we were working with guys who were going through this, you know, post-professional experience and they said out loud, you know, and they had these kind of careers. And so when young men specifically would hear that, they'd be like, Oh, you know, and, and that I think there was some power in the ability to have that conversation. Carrie, you talked about being in this field for, for 25 years. So I'm sure you have a lot of stories about the evolution of the space of athlete development, life skills. Can you share with our listeners some of the, the changes that you've seen throughout your time working in this field, hopefully for, for the betterment of, of this field? Yeah, for the better, for sure. I think 25 years ago, the space of uh, life skills, athlete development, it was an add-on. It was an add-on to someone's responsibilities in many cases. Um, someone in the department was tabbed with, oh, by the way, can you think about some of that off-field stuff um, in your spare time when you're already stretched really thin? Um, that's not the case anymore, right? There, there are departments dedicated to this work. Uh, there are certifications like the one that, that your organization offers and others. Um, it's recognized that there's expertise in this space for athletes and there's sports specific athlete development, right? There's this whole kind of industry that has evolved 
around this space and the seat at the table. So I mentioned 25 years ago, it was an add-on responsibility, and it was often an add-on to the volunteer, to the graduate assistant, to the entry-level position. And now it's generally, um, not, not always, but generally, it's someone at a you know administrative level, senior level position that has a seat, has access to higher level leadership. I think that's a great observation because when you think about the field, I, I love that analogy. <laughs> We're gonna, we had the volunteer to do this that already is doing like 19 other things and is not getting paid. Well, we'll have that person be responsible for our athlete development initiatives. That sounds about right, which is it's funny to hear you say that because uh, I think that's definitely true. And I think the other thing that you said, which is spot on, is that athlete development used to be a uh, left on an island in a lot of ways. And now, like you said, it has a seat at the table because it's become uh, integral in a lot of ways to how teams and leagues and players associations and, and universities are approaching how to uh, optimize their athletes' well-being. So I, compl- I think that's uh, super on point. I think one of the things I did want to ask, which I think is really quite cool, because you said that uh, your work with athletes was a lot with retiring former professional athletes. And I think that that's a level of expertise that you guys have or have an athlete than you have, have as an individual that I think is really interesting for some of our folks to understand, you know, what really are some of the challenges that um, you faced in working with those athletes who are trying to transition out of professional sport. And maybe you could share some of the lessons and some of your experiences about how you work with those athletes to help them kind of get onto that path for development. Because I think what I've seen in the industry, and I don't know if you would agree with this or not, and maybe Steph, you'd have a different take, but I think, it was interesting. You saw for a period of time that athlete development was all about transition. It was only about transition. And then it kind of disappeared for a while where, you know, it became, you know, mental health and, and a range of other issues sort of became more the, the primary focus. But I think the critical nature of transition is coming back. So I, I would love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things I learned quickly is that there is such a diversity of needs for individuals who are in transition. Um, I learned quickly, and I, I suspect you both have seen this as well, that when transition happens more quickly, in other words, when, and, and I'm, I'm saying guys, um, because my experience at Athlife, 99% of those that we worked with were from male sports. So um, just putting that out there, but most of the guys that we worked with in transition if they started to engage really quickly after retirement, it was a more seamless experience. It was less painful generally, still hard, less painful. In many cases though, what would happen is retirement would happen. And in professional sport, retirement doesn't happen because they say, I'm ready to retire. Retirement happens because you got fired. And so there's that, you know, okay, well, I don't wanna be fired. I want to keep playing. And so there's this period of time where they're still hoping to get a call. That period of time can go on for a good bit. So you're hoping you're going to get a call. You're not getting paid. You're further extending the inevitable conversation of what the heck am I going to do next? And it just gets harder and harder and harder. The other thing I learned really fast is for a post-professional athlete, it's not as easy to get people to pick up the phone as it was when they were a professional athlete. And so their ability to leverage the network they acquired as a professional athlete changes drastically once they are retired. 
Um, I mentioned the diversity of needs. I think that's another challenge that happens, right? So there's some, you know, the leagues and unions over the past several years in, in you know, um, my involvement, you know, they're doing some really cool stuff. There are some really great benefits that are out there and available. And it's figuring out what's your primary pain point that you need to address right now. And for some, it may be mental health. It may be financial. Uh, it may be I need a job. It may need be all of them. And you can't do it all at once, right? So it's a process. And I just think it's relationship driven. It takes time. It's really hard. It's unique to the individual. And so figuring out a pathway that creates the space for the relationships and the support, I think is critical. And that was, um, that was the fun part of working at Athlife is creating that space and support and relationships and recognizing that it's not going to be a linear process. And it's not going to be cookie cutter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think those are great points. I mean, nothing is linear in a transition process, that's for sure. And, and Or in an athlete development environment, even when a guy is active, is sort of been my experience. Out of curiosity, when, when you look back at, you know, I'm sure you've dealt with hundreds of athletes. From your perspective, what have you seen from those individuals that maybe came to the table that have already been really proactive while they're playing? What were those experiences like when you had a chance to work with an athlete that maybe already had a bit of a vision uh, and had been proactive in their approach to preparing for their eventual transition out of sport? Yeah, uh, fun. I'll say one word, really fun, uh, because, you know, again, we all we believe in the power of sport. We recognize the transferable skills and what athletes can bring to the table, all the things that I don't have to describe, but the transferable skills. And so while there was the moment where there was an acknowledgement that Whatever industry you're going into, you, you, you're not going to start at the top. You're not going to start where you necessarily want to be. And so there is going to be a moment that you're going to have to swallow your pride and you're going to have to start at a lower level than maybe you think. And watching them kind of go up so fast because of how talented they are, they just need some of the experience that they weren't getting, right? Their peers were doing internships and externships and entry-level jobs, and they were playing. And so they're coming in at a different level in terms of skill set, you know, on the job skills because they haven't been practicing them. Um, but when they were had done some of the work kind of in that parallel pathway and then found that opportunity, uh, you know, story after story of just seeing guys progress so fast, uh, which is fun. I, I really like that. It's like you said, it's, it's like they, they've taken their skill set that they were able to excel and be world-class at. And then they're now we just got, they just need time and reps to do the exact same thing in that other environment. I think that's really cool. Carrie, I'd love for you to share um, with our, our listeners about your newest role, um, kind of what you're doing, what the job entails and, and what you hope to accomplish maybe within the first year. Yeah. So I'm finishing my third week. So I'm really new. Um, third so, week. Wow. You really are new on the gig. <laughs> really, really new on the gig. So uh, vice president of athlete development and engagement at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Um, and again, it's, it's all things on and off the field of play, um, primarily off the field of play for Team USA athletes. So that encompasses quite a bit. Uh, so it encompasses the career and education, 
um, learning opportunities. It encompasses um, all things like leveraging their NIL uh, in this new environment, uh, providing education around that, working with the key stakeholders, uh, the national governing bodies, the Athlete Advisory Council, the alumni, the athletes, um, the internal staff to really help to ensure that Team USA athletes are having the best experience and that we're helping to manage expectations around their experience. So they really have an understanding of uh, what are my rights? What are my responsibilities? What are the resources that I have access to based on the level that I'm at in my journey? Um, so what I'm most looking forward to is you know, figuring out what all these acronyms mean that are being thrown at me. Uh, I worked at the NCA for close to 10 years, and I thought they used a lot of acronyms, but I think USC OPC is winning. Um, and I'm looking forward to just really developing relationships that ultimately will impact athlete experience. And, you know, I've got my work cut out for me, but uh, three weeks in, I'm still smiling, still really excited about the opportunity. So that's a good thing. That's a funny point about the NCA. When I worked at the, when I worked there, I thought the same thing. You know, it was like a whole sheet of like, what does this mean? And and then it becomes second nature. So, takes a little time. Yeah. Out of curiosity, the 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 experience of working with student athletes and major professional athletes probably puts you in an unbelievable unbelievable position to work with elite amateur athletes that are competing at the the international level. Coming into this position, I'm curious as to what do you think may be a bit different and, and how are you planning on approaching that um, if, if you sort of have a thought on that or are you still in the process of gathering data as to what you think the right way to do it is? Yeah, I have a lot of learning to do. Um, I think one of the things I do feel is as I went through the interview process, uh, I gained confidence through the process based on the questions that were being asked of me. So I felt really well prepared to answer the questions based on my, I call it three chapters of experience on campus NCAA and working with professional and post-professional athletes. So I felt like, okay, at least I'm in the right space here because my experiences prepare me to answer these questions with confidence. Um, and I think the diversity of the Team USA athlete is something I'm really learning more and more about, right? There are some... Olympians and Paralympians, that training is part of their world. And they have to have a part-time job or a couple part-time jobs to help them uh, live and, you know, kind of manage their families and, and lives and training opportunities. And then there's, you know, the elite Olympian and Paralympian that we can probably name and their experiences are quite different and everything in between. The other thing is just the range. I mean, there's, you know, 15-year-old young women uh, that are competing. And then there are 60-year-old individuals that are also competing. And so, you know, there is no teaching to the middle, if you will. Uh, it's really figuring out what are the needs of all of the athletes that we serve um, in their journey and really trying to provide resources that can support all of them. So again, I have a lot more learning to do. So I feel like my experiences prepare me kind of, you know, I have a lot of experience working with athletes, understanding the athlete mindset around this stuff. Um, and there's a lot more. Uh, I also have never worked with Paralympics. 
and Paralympians. And so that's really exciting uh, for me to be able to learn more about that space. Out of curiosity now, like I said, you, you've got a really cool background and a lot of a different experience. And obviously you're going to have the chance to apply it in the, the Olympic and the Paralympic environment. Where do you think the field is going? Uh, do you, as, as you kind of look at the trajectory that we've been on for the last several years, where do you see the field going and what are the changes you potentially see coming down the pike? That's another million dollar question. <laughs> if, you, um, if you know, let me know, please. Yeah, no, I definitely don't know. I, you know, I, I just, I think athletes across the, the spectrum of the experience, whether it's the college landscape, professional landscape, Olympic and Paralympic movement, um, have told us loud and clear that their voice is important and that it matters. And so they want to be a part of the process. They want to be a part of governance. They are more a, a part of that process. And with that, I think as professionals comes responsibility to help them be best prepared to exercise their voice. And so, you know, how we defined athlete development 25 years ago, I remember the binders that I got in my office from Champs Life Skills, you know, all of those binders that had all of those activities, right? Um, it's a much broader definition and the needs of this group of athletes, I think, are quite different. I mean, five years ago, we weren't talking about NIL education and how to best help a uh, athlete leverage their brand and, and think about personal, but we weren't, we weren't talking about that, but it absolutely now is part of our responsibility. We did talk about financial literacy back in the day, but it was like, how do I open a bank account and write a check? Way different what we're talking about now. So I think it's a much broader landscape and I think the stakes are just higher. Carrie, you just mentioned NIL. Um, for those individuals in the college space working with athletes, how do you get the athletes to redirect and focus on their education where now there's this opportunity to make money um, you know, due to NIL? Uh, great question. Uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm an idealist. Again, I've said it a few times, like I really believe in the power of the athletic experience. And I still think that the value proposition for college athletics is an education. Um, and so I think however the professionals on campus can continue to emphasize that value proposition, it's the one thing that no one can take away from you. Um, so Take, take advantage, take the full advantage of the opportunity. You know, I think there's, um, it's a lot about relationships. It's a lot about knowing the athletes that you're working with and not, and having high expectations for them. And so I think it's, it's hard working on campus. It's exhausting. Um, you know, 18 to 22 year olds are amazing and exhausting. <laughs> so, uh, I think, having high expectations and really pushing them to meet those expectations um, day to day is hard, but over the long term is the right thing to do. It's sometimes easier to give in to the, they don't care about academics. I'm not going to care about it for them. I've just, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Yes, you can. And it matters. And they will thank you someday. Um, maybe not directly, but maybe when they're on a podcast someday, 25 years later, they're going to say, my academic advisor held me accountable. Um, the person in athlete development taught me a lot and the skills mattered. So 
I just, I, I recognize the challenge of the position they're in and I just hope they continue to fight the good fight because college athletics, the value proposition still is the education and the degree. I think that's a great segue into my last question, which is, you know, looking back on your experience uh, and knowing what you have coming ahead for you and thinking about the field more broadly, what advice would you give to somebody that's pr- currently practicing as an athlete development specialist in whether it's a, a you know major professional environment or not, what is a, the advice you give to somebody who is maybe new to the field or newer to the field? What would you want them to know and understand as they continue their work in this space? Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that makes athlete development professionals so fun to be around is how much they care about people and they pour into individuals that they work with. I would encourage athlete development specialists to find the people that pour into them um, through their network, leverage the network. Uh, Mention it's hard. It's hard work. Um, So find ways to fill, you know, fill your cup, charge your battery so that you can continue to do that work. And so that you, you stay charged, right? You know, like the phone analogy, you know, like stay in the green. If you start to get into the yellow and the red with your battery, like, you're not helpful anymore, as helpful as you can be. Um, And I think for some, they're living in the yellow. And that's when it gets really challenging and really frustrating. And for me, my network has always been um, a source of energy, strength, power for me. And, you know, there's people I met 25 years ago when I entered the profession that I have stayed in touch with. Um, We're all look a lot different now. We're all a lot older Um, but a call with them, you know, and it's, again, time is hard. We all are busy. Athlete development specialists, athlete development professionals are busy. Find the time to get back to that kind of charged energy so that you can do this work in the most impactful way and still have fun. It's fun. There's no doubt about that. It is a fun gig. It is a fun gig. You never know what's going to come through your door any given day. So I completely agree with that. That's probably a great place to put a bow on this. Stephanie, again, thanks for jumping on the call to help out today. And with many thanks on behalf of our global partners from PADS, uh, from the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, Carrie White, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me.